Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Back in uh, 2011, Pastor Henry gave me an opportunity uh, to start preaching periodically here at River of Life. I went back and counted, and since in the last five years, I've, I've preached 32 sermons here. And I've, yeah, that's great. Thank y'all. I've preached on a lot of subjects. I actually went, I keep all my notes. And I've preached on God's love. I've preached on God's grace. I've preached on God's will. I've preached on God's sovereignty. I've preached on parenting. I've preached on marriage. I've preached on race relations. I've preached on all of those subjects. And there was one thing that I would have swore in a million years I would never preach on. And that's money. I had no intention of ever going anywhere near that subject. Just, it wasn't even on my radar. And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, to be quite honest with you, it just didn't interest me at all. Just, I mean, think about it. I, I, I don't preach every week. I only get certain chances. So when I preach, I want to preach on something great. So think about God's grace and money. God's sovereignty, money. It, it didn't even, it's like it didn't even measure up. I thought, why would I, why would I want to preach on that? But there's another reason I didn't really want to preach on money, and that's because I don't like it when somebody else preaches on money. <laughs> and I'm just being real honest with you. I grew up in a Pentecostal background, and I was exposed to a lot of really, really bad teaching on money. And it took me a lot of years to get rid of that bad teaching and to get it right. And I'm going to be honest with you, if somebody starts preaching, maybe it's because of my background, I don't know, but when somebody starts preaching on money, I just kind of turn off the thing. <laughs> I just turn it off, and I'm sorry, Henry, I'm just saying, that's not you, that's other people. But there's something about preaching on money that, that makes me uncomfortable. So if I don't like to hear somebody else do it, why in the world would I ever subject you to it? So it just wasn't even on my radar. But I kept running into this little problem called the Bible. Because you see, I love the Bible. I love to read the Bible. I love to study the Bible. There is nothing more. In, there's nothing in this world that even comes close to being as interesting to me as the Bible. And when you open the Bible, when you begin to read the Bible, one thing pops out at you over and over again, and that is the Bible talks a lot about money. I'll give you a couple of interesting things. Did you know, for example, that the Bible has about 500 verses on prayer? Now, prayer is important. So the Bible puts an emphasis on prayer with over 500 verses. Did you know the Bible has over 2,000 verses that deal with money? And that blew my mind the first time I heard that. If you go back and look at Jesus' parables, and you look at the subjects of the parables, you'll find that almost half of his parables deal with, you guessed it, Money. Now, I'm kind of an inquisitive person, so when I start seeing that stuff in the Bible, I start asking, well, why? Why would the Bible put such an emphasis on money? Well, I think there's three reasons that I've come to in my own mind. Number one, 
when you think about it, isn't money common to every human being that's ever walked this planet? It doesn't really matter if you're born in the first century or you're in the 21st century. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your, your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your nationality. Everybody needs money. Everybody uses money. Everybody wants money. It's common to, it's common to the human condition. I think a second reason that the Bible puts such an emphasis on money is because there's such an overwhelming temptation on our part to trust in it. Think about this. You got up this morning and you put on clothes that money bought. You got in a car and you drove here that money bought. When you leave here today, you'll go to a home that money bought. You'll eat food that money bought. Maybe watch a show on a television that money bought. Like me, you'll take a nap on a couch that money bought. Right? See, from the world's point of view, if you're not careful, if you really think about it, money is what puts clothes on your back, food on your table, shelter over your head, and it entertains you. See, from the world's point of view, money supplies all your needs. That's why there's such a temptation to trust in it, and by the way, there's such a, why there's such an overwhelming fear of not having it. I think that's the second reason. But the third reason, and this is the one that I find most interesting, I think the third reason the Bible puts such an overwhelming or such an emphasis on money, is because it's such an excellent test of what's really inside your heart. It is an excellent test of what's really going on inside your heart. You see, when I read the Bible, one of the things that I see, especially in Jesus' parables, is there is a direct correlation between your relationship with God and your relationship with money. If you want, In other words, the more hold that God has on you, the less hold money has on you. The more hold money has on you, the less hold God has on you. There's a direct correlation between your spiritual life and your attitudes or your motives toward money. The title of my message this morning is Follow the Money. Follow the Money. We all watch these detective shows, right? There's a crime. That's nice. I hadn't seen that. That's the first time I saw that. You know, there's a crime... We watch these detective shows and there's a crime and the detectives come and, and they come to the scene and they, they're trying to figure out who done it. And inevitably, one of them will say, follow the money. In other words, if we can just figure out who profits from this crime, if we follow the money trail, we'll see maybe who done it. Well, can I tell you the same thing is true in your life and in mine. If you follow the money trail in your life, it'll lead you to what you really value. If you follow the money trail in your life, it will lead you to what you really value. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. You see, if I could look into your life and you could look at my, into mine, and I could see how you use your money. I could see where you invest your money. I could see where you spend your money. I could look at your motives toward money. I can tell you, I'll find your heart and you'll find mine. If you want to know the status or the state of your spiritual life, if you want to know where you are spiritually, if you want to know whether your heart is in a place where it's pleasing to God, I'm going to tell you how. You follow the money. So what we're going to do for the next few minutes, not very long here this morning, is we're going to take a little journey. And I'm going to give you some indicators in your life that you can look at, that you can follow the money trail. And see, what are your attitudes toward money? What are your motives toward money? Because it's got a direct correlation, a direct relationship 
to the status that God holds in your life. Now, to do that, I'm going to ask four questions. I'm going to do who, what, how, and why. I'm going to do the who, what, how, and why of money and giving. I'm going to get rid of the first two real quick because it's the second two that are really interesting. Here's the first one. Who, as Christians, are we to be? Acts 20.35 says this, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Listen, my wife knows this is one of my favorite sayings. In this world, there are two types of people. There's givers and takers. There's givers, and I don't know why I like to say that, but I do, I say it all the time. There's givers and there's takers. And can I tell you, even in the world, people know it's better to give than take. Even the takers know it's better to be a giver. They can't be one. They don't know how to get there. But they know it's better to be a giver. Well, see, as Christians, we don't have a choice. As Christians, we are commanded to be givers. Okay? Jesus said this in Luke 6, 38, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We are to be givers. Now, I'm going to take a quick... I'm going to jump down a quick rabbit trail. I won't stay gone long. I'm going to come back. But I got to, I got to, is that verse still up? Leave that verse up there for a second. I grew up around a lot of prosperity teaching, and prosperity teachers love that verse. Give to me, is what they're saying, right? If you give to me, and you give to me good measure, press down, shaken together, give generously to me, then God is going to give back to you, almost like God is some kind of investment pyramid scheme or something, right? But see, they completely miss the point of that verse. Let me tell you, folks, if you're a giver and you give to the point that you give good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and God dumps some more into your lap, let me tell you what you're going to do with it. You're going to give it. Because that's what givers do. Givers give. Okay? See, the world's economy says get all you can. The prosperity teachers add a little Bible in there and they say give to get all you can. But God says give to give. Givers give to give, get, give more. It's just like a funnel. It's like a pipe. It's, we just keep giving because that's what givers do. As Christians, we are commanded to be givers. That's the who. Now, let's ask what are we to give? Matthew 25, 35 through 36, Jesus answers this question for us. He said, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. Listen, are we to give money? Absolutely. But as Christians, we never stop there. We never stop there. Paul asked the Corinthian church, he said, What do you have that you haven't received? The answer to that is everything you have, you've been given by God. Your gifts, your talents, your money, your home, your, the, the clothes on your back, it's given to you by God. Everything is up to be given away. We are to give not only our money, we're to give our time. We're to give our hospitality, food, clothing, whatever we have has been freely given to us. Therefore, we are to turn around and do what? Freely, freely give it. So who are we to be? Givers. What are we to give? Whatever God's given to us must be available or made available to others. Now, let me get to the two that are more interesting. That is the how are we to give. I said earlier, there's a fundamental connection between your spiritual life and your money. 
And specifically, what I wanted to say is there's a fundamental connection between your spiritual life and your attitude toward money. Listen, money itself isn't good or bad. It's your attitude toward money that God seems to be overly concerned about. You know, in fact, let me say this. God wants us to be a giver, commands us to be givers, but He doesn't stop there and say, hey, I want you to be a giver. I don't really care how you do it. Just, just give. He never stops there. In fact, I don't even think God is really overly concerned with the amount you give. One day, Jesus is standing in the temple, and we've all heard this story. A bunch of rich men are coming in, and he stand, Jesus is just sitting over there watching, and they're going by, and they're putting gold and silver in the treasury. And this little old lady comes in, little poor lady, and she puts in basically what amounts to a penny. And Jesus calls his disciples over and says, You see that woman? She gave more than all of them did. It's not about... See, they gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her lack. He's not... It doesn't even seem like he's overly concerned with the amount. I read somewhere in 2015, Warren Buffett gave $2.5 billion to charity. Now, that's a lot of money. $2.5 billion. And when you read read that, the world goes crazy. Oh, my gosh, what what a philanthropic genius this man is. You know, he's just the greatest... Ever. Two and a half billion dollars. By the way, the only problem with that is he's worth 67 billion. If you do the math, he gave 4%. It's a lot of money. But let me tell you, there's people sitting in this church right now that in God's eyes gives way more than Warren Buffett. It's not a, it's not a number that God seems to be overly concerned about. I'm telling you, when you look at the Bible over and over again, what, what God is concerned about is how you give. He's concerned your attitude. He's concerned about your heart. Now, I'm going to give you three things that he points out about giving that we can use as indicators. Now, remember, that's what we're doing. We're following the money. Are these attitudes in your life or are they not? The first one, Pastor Henry mentioned this earlier when we were taking up offering, is we are to be cheerful givers. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God says, do not give reluctantly. Do not give because somebody has compelled you. He says, decide, notice what he says, decide in your heart. You see, do you understand what cheerful means? Cheerful means I'm happy. You are happy when you're doing what you want to do. God loves a cheerful giver because a cheerful giver is a person who's giving out of their heart. They're giving because it's what they want to do. It's what they're glad to do. See, that's what, that's what God wants. He wants us to be givers, not reluctantly or, compul- or, or by compelling someone, someone compelling us. He wants it, us to be givers because that's who we are deep down at the very bottom of our heart. We want to do it. This morning I got up and I made the bed. Now, you won't really think that's a big deal, but when Kathy and I got married, I thought that was just the dumbest thing I'd ever heard of, that you would actually make a bed, that you're going to turn around a few hours later and mess up again. And she thought it was important to make a bed. And you can imagine. So I, I didn't make beds, she made beds, and this went on for a while. And then one day I decided, you know what? It's important to her, maybe I'll make a bed. So every once in a while, I would make the bed. And she'd say, oh, you know, you made the bed. Well, how great you are and all this kind of stuff. But I, but I wouldn't do it. I didn't do it all the time. I just did it periodically, right? Well, then as time went on, 
I found myself making it a little more and a little more and a little more. Well, this morning, I got up and made the bed. Now, don't tell her this, but over the years, I can't stand a bed not to be made up now. <laughs> you see, folks, what happened is I did it. I didn't want to do it, but I did it because I love somebody. And over time, it became part of who I am. It came out of my... Now, it just comes out of who I am. It's nothing... It's just... It's, I'm glad to do it because I want to do it. It's not, I'm not doing it for her. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it because it makes me happy. It makes me feel good. You see, that's what God wants. God wants cheerful givers, not, not reluctantly or, or out of compulsion. Do it because it makes you happy. But that only comes, guys, from a changed heart down deep inside. The second way that God wants us to be, the second attitude we're to have is humble. We're to be humble givers. Matthew 6, 3 through 4, Jesus said this, When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You say, this goes to your motives for giving. If you go back and read that in context, there was some... This is hard to believe, but this actually, I guess, happened. There were some religious people who would go out into the streets, and when they saw a beggar, they would have one of their people blow a trumpet. Literally blow a trumpet so other people would come watch them give. I mean, that's... (laughs) That sounds terrible, doesn't it? Jesus said, if you're giving... So somebody can pat you on the back and tell you what a great man you are. He says, enjoy that pat on the back because that's all you're ever going to get. That's what he said. Enjoy your pat on the back because that's your reward. God, God could care less what you did. He doesn't even see it. doesn't care. If you're doing it for, to be a people pleaser, God says, enjoy pleasing people because that's all you're ever going to get. By the way, I think the same thing applies to self. If you give because you can pat yourself on the back, Say, what a great guy I am. I'm not really that bad. Look at what I do. I think God says the same thing. Enjoy that self-pat on the back because that's all you're ever going to get out of me. I don't, I don't even see what you're doing. I don't even recognize what you're doing. He says, when you give, don't be a people pleaser. Be a God pleaser. Do it because God sees it. Do it not because everybody else knows what I'm doing. Do it for Him. And He'll reward you. Not a people pleaser, not a self-pleaser, but a... God-pleaser. All right, now I'm going to start meddling, if y'all don't mind a little bit. Now, the third way we are to give, and we are to give generously. We are to give generously. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, I could have used a lot of passages encouraging you to be generous. I used that one for a reason. As for the rich. Now, if you're here this morning and you point at that and say, but Derek, he's talking about rich people. No, he's talking about you. Listen, if you got up this morning and you went into a closet and you got more than two pairs of shoes, you're rich. If you had to sit there and look, should I wear that, or should I wear that, or should I wear that, you're rich. If you could afford to get in a car and drive here this morning, you are rich. If you will go through Crawfordville and you have to make a decision, do we want to eat at home, do we want to eat at Zaxby's, do we want to eat at El Jalisco's, you are rich. Folks, that is us. 
God has poured out blessings. I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I would dare say that 99.99% of people sitting here this morning have more than you need. You have more than you need. You have enough to share. You are rich. That is us he's talking about. And he says we are to be generous. We are to be ready to share with other people. Now, here's my question, though. Are we doing it? Are we doing that? In January of 2013, there was a pastor in St. Louis who uh, went out to eat at Applebee's after church, took a group out to, to eat. This is a true story, by the way. I'm not making this up. And um, after the meal was over, they got the check, and they had added an 18% gratuity to the check. And this pastor wrote this on the check. I'll read it verbatim. They said this, I give God 10%, why do you get 18? I give God 10%, why do you get 18? Now, folks, there is so much wrong with that statement, I don't even really know where to start. But I'm going to start here by giving you the definition of generous. Generous, to give more of something than is necessary or is expected. Let me read that again. It, to be generous means to give more of something than is necessary. To give more of something that's even expected. That means if $10 would suffice, you give 40 If one hour would suffice, you give 5 You give more than is necessary. You give more than is expected. Let me tell you, you can open your Bible in the New Testament and you can read it from beginning to end. And when you get done, go back and read it again. You will never find God putting any amount on what you are to give. Not to beggars, not to waitresses, and not even to Him. What you will find Him telling you over and over and over again is that you and I are to be generous. We are to give more than is expected. We are to give more than is necessary. Folks, let me tell you, if you're eating out and you're tipping 15%, you are not being generous. You're not being generous. Now, I know what some of y'all might be thinking. Whoa, 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 Derek. <laughs> now, wait just a minute. I can understand if you encourage us to be generous to God. I can understand if you encourage us to be generous giving to missions. I can understand you encouraging us to be generous, uh, maybe even giving to other Christians and, and brothers and sisters, but, but tipping? What in the world does tipping have to do with Jesus? Folks, folks, please, it's got everything to do with it. It's got everything to do with it. You see, I'm afraid too many Christians are laboring under this worldview or under this idea that, that if I'm, as long as I'm doing something for God, giving to God, giving to Christian things, I'm supposed to be generous. But if I step over here in the world, it's okay, I don't have to be generous. It's like they separate the sacred from the secular. And as long as I'm out and doing worldly things, God don't care if I'm generous. Is that true? Is that really true that God thinks it's okay to be generous in, in church things, in Christian things, but out in the world you just do whatever you want to do? Folks, I think nothing could be further from the truth. The reason for that is because I'm telling you, when Jesus comes in your heart, He makes you into a giver. And givers give. Givers give. There's something about the gospel getting down inside your heart 
down inside of your life where there's things like greed, and there's things like envy, and there's things like jealousy, and there's things like fear of not having enough. And that gospel goes down in your heart, and Jesus begins to push those things out. He begins to get rid of those things. I'm going to tell you the result of that is your hands let go of your money. Your hands let go of your money. I think generosity in all areas of your life is one of the greatest tests there is for whether Jesus is really where is holding the place that He needs to hold. I want to tell you two stories this morning that has to do with that subject. One from the Bible and then one personal. In the Bible, Jesus is um, coming into a town, a city called Jericho. And the people have heard that He's coming and they've, they've lined the streets. Man, they're so excited that Jesus is coming. They're, they're, just, they're lined three and four deep to get a glimpse of Him. And the Bible says there's a man in that town by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now, what you have to understand about tax collectors in those days is they purchased a franchise from the Roman government. If you wanted to be a tax collector, you had to pay the Roman government for a license to collect taxes in a particular area. And then once you became a tax collector, you began to collect taxes. And as long as you gave your port, uh, their percentage of money went to the Romans, they really could care less what else you did. They didn't care. So basically, being a tax collector was a license to steal. They would steal and defraud and extort money from their own people. They, you talk about somebody that loved money was men like Zacchaeus and men like Matthew. I mean, they had, they had thrown away their own pride. They had, they had thrown away their sense of community. They, had, they basically got rich on the backs of their own people. And so here's this day, Jesus is coming into, into the city and Zacchaeus wants to see him, but Zacchaeus is this little short dude, so he can't see over the crowd, so he climbs up in a tree. And Jesus walks by and the Bible tells us that he looked up in the tree and he saw him. And he called him by name and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, I want to go to your house for, for lunch or for dinner, or whatever the case may be. And the people were aghast. They could not believe that Jesus would do that. You know, they always say he eats with sinners and tax collectors. That's like the dregs of society. And so they couldn't believe it. But, but Jesus goes anyway. And he goes to his house and he has dinner with him. And at some point, the Bible recounts this for us in Luke 19.8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. You see, folks, how we handle our money, what we do with our money, the hold that money has on us has everything to do with Jesus. Everything to do with Jesus. You see, when Jesus came into Zacchaeus' life, he loved money. But everything changed. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24, Nobody can serve two masters, for you're either going to love the one and hate the other, or you'll despise the one, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. There's a lot of Christians walking around thinking they can do both. I love God, but here's my money. I'm going to keep it separate over here. Jesus said, don't deceive yourself. You cannot do both. I tell you, if you look in your life, here's Zacchaeus. Money has got a hold on him. And here's God, somewhere so far down that the difference between the two is like the difference between love and hate. But then he meets Jesus. 
And Jesus comes into his life and immediately he loves Jesus. He hopes in Jesus. He trusts in Jesus. And the whole money had on him is like the difference between love and hate. And he immediately just said, man, I give half of everything I got to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I give it to them four times back. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Several years ago, well, let me, 30-something years ago, I was a student at FSU. Kathy and I just got married. I was about 20 years old, and, and we didn't have nothing, and it was awesome. It was, who needed money? We didn't need no money. Um, it was great. So I'm going to school. She's working, and we're, we're, we're poor. We ain't got nothing. And one day, I'm coming out of class, and I walk across campus, and there was a parking lot where I, I parked my car. And as I'm walking up to the car, uh, a man walks up to me. And he was very disheveled, very, you know, looked like a homeless man. And he walked up to me and he told me some, I'm sure he told me a story. I don't know what the story was, but they always have a story, right? So he tells me a story. And I open my wallet. And when I get my wallet out, I look inside. And I got a $1 bill and a $10 bill. It's a moral dilemma, is it not? I got a $1 bill and a $10 bill. Now, to be honest with you, most of the time I do what everybody here probably does. I reach in my wallet and I, gave, I would give him a dollar. That's what I would normally do. But for some reason, on this day, I don't know why. I, I don't know if I just passed a test. I was feeling especially good. I don't know. But for some reason, on this day, I reach in my wallet, and I pick out the 10, and I give it to him. He thanks me, and he leaves. And I walk over, and I get in my car, and I sit down, and I, and I start to leave, and I sit there for just a second. And this is what I thought in my mind. You're an idiot. You are so stupid. What, what in the world did you just do? What is wrong with you? you what? Are you crazy? Derek, this is, this is literally what I said. Derek, you are supposed to be a good steward of God's money. And you just flushed it down the toilet. He's going to go buy him a Schlitz malt liquor or a, crack, a, a hit of crack or whatever you could buy for 10 bucks in that day. I don't remember. But he, he is going to blow that good money. You're, you're an idiot. That, literally, that's, I'm, just, I'm just all over myself. You're stupid. Why did you do that? You're a bad steward of God's money. You wasted that money. Now, folks, God at that moment spoke to me. Now, I do not say that lightly. If you know me, if you're around me very often, I do not say very often God spoke to me. I don't say that. I grew up around people saying, God said, God said, God spoke to me, God did. I thought for a while He spoke to everybody but me. <laughs> Literally, I didn't think He ever talked to me. What was wrong with me? So I don't often say, now don't get me wrong, God speaks through His Word, God speaks in Him, but I'm talking about, and I can't even explain it, I'm talking about when God just somehow, and if you've ever had it happen, you know what I'm talking about. He just drops something in on you. I can count on one hand the times that's happened. I can tell you something else about it too, folks. When it happens, you remember it. I remember where I was when Reagan was shot. I was on a lumber yard down here at, at Pigott's Cash and Carry where I worked at the time. I remember where I was when the shuttle fell out of the sky. I was at the DOT standing in a file room. I remember where I was when the plane flew into the Twin Towers. I was in my living room in front of the TV. You don't think if I can remember that, I won't remember where I was when the God of the universe spoke to me? I can take you back right now to that place where I was standing 
or sitting in that car. I can take you right there because you don't forget something like that. You don't forget something like that. So I'm sitting there in the car, and I'm just, I'm just all over myself. Man, you're an idiot. Why are you a bad steward and all this? And God said this to me. He said, Derek, why are you worrying about that so much? Why, why are you worrying about what he's going to do with the money? And I said, well, I just, it's obvious, right? I just gave him something valuable, and he's going to flush it down the toilet. He's going to completely waste it. And this is what God said to me. He said, but Derek, I do that every day. I do that every day. Every day I pour out my blessings on people who are unthankful. Every day I give gifts to people who curse me to my face. Every day I give the breath of life and the blessings of life to people who completely and totally waste it. I do that every day. Let me tell you, from that day to this, I learned it is my, not my job to qualify people. From that day, I quit qualifying people. I quit trying to say, you're worthy of my gift, you're worthy of my generosity, you're not. You're, I quit all that. And can I tell you how that's pretty freeing when you don't have to worry about it? When you don't have to qualify people or judge people to be worthy? You just give. Now I give because He's a giver. I want to be like Him. I want to be conformed to Him. I want to, I, when I do it now, because I want Him to look down and say, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's a chip off the old block. That apple didn't fall far from the tree. That's why I want to do it. I want to be like my daddy. Shouldn't we all? Shouldn't we all want to be like him? He don't qualify. Why, why do we qualify? This brings us to the last point, and that is why. How are we, who are we to be? Givers. What are we to give? Whatever we got, it's all up. It's all up because God's given it all to us. How are we to give? We're to give cheerfully. We're to give humbly. And we are to give generously. Now the question is why? Why is it so important to God that we be givers and we give with the right attitude? Well, as, as I've just said, God is a giver. It's in His nature to give. That's who He is. That's what He does. And can I tell you, as His child, my job is to be like Him. That's, that's all I'm asked to do. Be like Him. Ephesians 5.1 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You see, in other words, when we walk throughout this life, it doesn't matter if it's in church or if it's in a restaurant, and we give, and we give cheerfully, and we give humbly, and we give generously, we are being just like our Heavenly Father. I'm not qualifying. You're Christian. You're not. You're worthy, you're not, because God doesn't qualify. You just, I'm just being like Him. That's all He asked me to do. You see, folks, if His Spirit resides in us, if His nature has been birthed in us, then we should be like Him. I should be growing more kinder, more gentler, more patient, more generous, more humble, because that's the way He showed me how to be. Luke 6, 35-36, our last scripture says this, Love your enemies, do good, and give, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For He, 
is kind to the thankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father in heaven also is merciful. I want to close this morning with one final thought. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said this. I think this is something we ought to write on our write down and put on our refrigerators or right over our door. He said this, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Let me say that again. Paul said, if we would just judge ourselves, God wouldn't have to judge us. That tells us that every one of us has an opportunity to look at your life, evaluate yourself, judge yourself so that God doesn't have to turn around later and do the judge. What an opportunity. Can you imagine? He says, listen, I'll leave it to you. Judge yourself so I don't have to do it. But if you don't do it, I'll take care of it. You see, but I'm afraid. This, this is, I think, one of the biggest problems we have in the American church. I think we have so many diversions. We have so many hobbies. We stay so busy. And I'm, I'm wondering sometimes if all these diversions and all these hobbies and all these things that take up our time aren't just a, re, a way to keep us from actually stopping and looking at ourselves. Because if we really look at ourselves, I'm afraid we won't really like what we find. But you see, this morning, as you sit here, you're, you're here. You've got an opportunity this morning to judge yourself, to evaluate yourself. So here's my question. If you follow the money trail in your life, what does it show that you really value? If you follow the money trail in your life, do you find Zacchaeus? Do you find somebody that used to love money, that money used to have a hold on, but now Jesus has come in, and all of a sudden your fingers have been loosened, and you're growing more generous, and you're giving more cheerfully? Is that what you find when you look in your life? Or maybe when you look inside of your life, you don't find a Zacchaeus. You find somebody that still loves money, that still got a fear of not having money, that still can't give cheerfully. Every time we give, I feel reluctant to do it. I feel, I feel compelled to do it. Is that what we find? You know, I want to go back to that story one more time with Zacchaeus. You know, the neat thing about that story, Jesus never told him to do anything. He never said, Zacchaeus, give you money. He never said that. Never asked him to do anything. In fact, folks, listen to me very carefully. The key to that story, if you go back and read it, it's not that Zacchaeus gave his money away. Let me be really clear with you. Giving your money away will not get you into heaven. By the way, not giving your money won't keep you out of heaven. The key to that story of Zacchaeus is one word. Lord. Lord. You see, when Jesus met the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler said, called him teacher. Teacher. What do I have to do to get eternal life? See, Jesus knew he didn't, that, that ruler didn't see him as Lord, but Zacchaeus didn't call him teacher. Zacchaeus said, Lord. Folks, let me tell you, when he's really Lord, when he's really Lord, your fingers let loose of your money. You, you, it, it, it's a real question, right? Who's the Lord of your life? Who's got control of your life? Who's got the hold over your life? Is it Jesus or is it money? Let me tell you, if you're here this morning and you don't know Him as Lord, maybe you'd like to be a giver. You'd like to have some of that stuff, but you know deep down inside that it's just not there. 
Well, I can tell you, you won't get it through discipline. You won't get it through just going out and doing it. You get it by a change of heart. And there's only one man that can change a heart like that from a taker to a giver, and that's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.